Hello and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I am the fan liaison officer at the sporting charity Level Playing Field. So it's been a year now since we started the podcast and we are focused on many subject matters such as away travel, disability abuse, the return of fans, hidden disabilities and examining what happened at the Euro 2020 final, just to name a few of the things. But to celebrate the year anniversary of the podcast, I thought we would turn the questions inwards towards the team at Level Playing Field. So on the charity's social media channels, we invited people to ask any questions that they might have for the team here at Level Playing Field. So this episode is just that, me putting your questions to the Level Playing Field team, as well as a couple of questions of my own. Enjoy. Here we are, everyone, the Level Playing Field squad. Uh, You all look like the Brady Bunch at the moment because we're all doing this via Zoom in our homes. Um, So people kind of know who you are so they can hear your voice. I'm going to scream out your name. Well, I'll I'll say your name. And if you can just give us a very brief description of uh, who you are and what you do at Level Playing Field. So, Owain. Uh, I'm Owain Davis. I'm the Chief Executive at Level Playing Field. uh, And I oversee the organisation, link with the board uh, and ensure that we deliver against our charitable objectives and work with the team to be able to kind of provide them the opportunities to deliver the change that we desire. Hi, I'm Ruth Hopkins and I'm General Manager and Head of Access at Level Playing Field. I'm a National Register of Access Consultants or NRAC Auditor and I've been working for Level Playing Field for nearly nine years. Hi, I'm Nikki. Baker. I'm a Disability Access Officer for Level Playing Field. I'm also NRAC, which is National Register of Access Consultant, accredited, auditor accredited. I lead on the access audits predominantly, and I lead on the contact with our League Two clubs. Hi there, my name is Daniel Townley. I'm the Development Officer at Level Playing Field. Uh, Most of my work is with clubs, so I I deliver disability awareness training to clubs. Uh, I do a lot of work in Championship and League One, uh, and also provide guidance documents and events for disability access officers. I'm Ben Southby. Um, I'm the Media and Communications Officer, so my role is to oversee all of the organisation's communications from the Level Playing Field membership and newsletters to managing the website and our social media channels. I also act as the first point of contact when dealing with any inquiries or complaints from fans or clubs uh, regarding match day experiences Uh, and I do that before liaising with the relevant staff member at Level Playing Field who can then work with the fan or club to solve any issues there might be. Cheers Ben and people know me, I'm Liam, I'm the uh, fan liaison officer at Level Playing Field but today I am the Jeremy Paxman of this. Let's go to Ruth first because you are the mother of the group. You're the one who's been here the longest. So Ruth, can you please tell us how Level Playing Field actually started and um, how we actually got to the point of where we are today? I wasn't around when Level Playing Field started. It's uh, nearly 25 years ago, so I wasn't working for them then. But um, it was a group of disabled football fans who got together just around a kitchen table, just chatting and complaining about how bad the situation was to be able to watch the game. The sight lines, the availability of tickets, as I've said, the whole whole accessible experience was pretty dire at that time. So they decided to do something about it and um, got a few like-minded disabled people involved and it was predominantly wheelchair users at that time. They formed the National Association of Disabled Supporters. They soon got a voice 
club started to listen to them and they started to make some small changes. After a while, they decided to change their name to a few years. They changed their name to Level Playing Field. They felt at the time represented what they were actually doing. Yeah, we've just grown and grown since then. We don't just work in football anymore. We hadn't consciously gone out to attract other sports. Other sports came to us. I mean, is that the biggest change that you've seen is the fact that the charity has worked across more sports than just football when it was created? For me, um, since I joined uh, nine years ago, it was still very football focused. But at that time, Rugby League started to approach us. And then we had the, the we worked with the, the Rugby World Cup and cricket. Of course, they commissioned us to do some access audits and it's spread um, across all sports now. Owen, oh, our tagline is for disabled supporters, but there might be people listening to this who might have the viewpoint that Level Playing Field don't speak for me as a disabled supporter. Can you explain a little bit how Level Playing Field goes about working and the way that we do, and how do we try and represent the viewpoints of disabled sports fans? For disabled fans, is it's fundamental to everything that we do. It is knitted into every piece of work that we deliver, Anything that, that comes out of the level playing field door is, is, is forged around the aspect. It's considered, it's balanced, and, and that's an important side that we're trying to ensure that we harness in the right way and we get the greatest level of impact about making you know, watching live sport as inclusive as possible as available as possible for disabled fans. From a structure perspective, Level Playing Field in delivering, I suppose, agenda or that view, is that we have four key pillars of work. The first and the most important is, is for the fans. Everything that we do delivers uh, delivered under that pillar is all about representing the voice of disabled fans, hit, listening to fans through the work that you do, Liam, DSAs, Disabled Supporters Associations, um, fan forums and hosting those those opportunities to gather insight and to be proactive in that nature and then also looking at well as dealing with reactive situations you know whether it's inquiries or complaints where fans can come to us and raise the kind of key issues that they have or about their match they experience on their behalf we'll contact the clubs and look to kind of work and identify ways to improve that with with our experience or it might be you know for clubs that they just not aware that that's happened and it could be an isolated incident. Then our second pillar is for the clubs. You know, we work collaboratively as an organisation. Each person has a is a representative for either a league or, or fans. You know, I, I manage our relationships with Premier League clubs and, and also governing bodies, as Daniel uh, mentioned before, with Championship and League One and Nicky with League Two and, and Ben with National League clubs and other sports and Liam yourself with, with Disabled Supporters Association. That's a really important way where we can have that relationship with clubs, where we can identify the good work that's already been done because often it's clubs are innovating in the space before anything kind of the accessible provisions are there. And, you know, they kind of might be seeing a problem and they're addressing it themselves. And we want to capture that and to share that, to bring about that, that wider change. And just kind of looking at certain other areas as well, developing guidance and, and practices as well to understand how football stadiums work and the complexities around that and looking to kind of get that full holistic picture. Our other two pillars are our campaigns through the Level Playing Field Weeks of Action campaign about raising awareness of access and inclusion with non-disabled fans, disabled fans and, and, and everyone about looking at the positives that attending live sport has on the individual, the community, nearest and dearest as well, um, and the clubs themselves. As we firmly believe that clubs need to represent the communities 
that that they serve and that they kind of the cornerstone of. And then lastly is our knowledge centre. When we're looking to, to drive change, we need to have a base of knowledge and understanding and insight to be able to kind of accelerate any change process or or to kind of have that credibility with our annual level playing field fan survey. That's a real big source of data but also with other projects where we've collaborated with the Sports Ground Safety Authority around a research project on neurodiversity, I suppose so-called underrepresented disabilities, the non-visible disabilities, and we're looking to kind of identify, you know, those those key areas, you know, and, and I think whenever we're working in this landscape is is it's not just focusing on the, the largest kind of cohort or the cross-section or the most obvious one, it's looking at that underrepresentation, developing in feedback. It's a two-way street. We need information. We take that information and then we kind of try to digest it and come up with you know simple and common sense solutions uh, based on our experiences. Right. Let's go on to a couple of questions then that we've had from the members of the public. And Danny, I'm going to come to you first, pal. We've had a question regarding stewarding and it's a topic that we are going to look closer at actually next month. And Daniel will be a guest on this. Uh, so we'll touch on stewarding a lot more. But the question is, do stewards require disability training? And if they do, is it mandated by the football leagues? Uh, okay, so there's no legal requirement for clubs to provide disability awareness training, but employers do have to provide their employees with the relevant kind of information and instructions for them to be able to do their job. Um, and so you, you could argue that, you know, how can a steward or a club employee do a competent job in working alongside and delivering a service for disabled people without any training? So in that sense, I would, I would argue that that kind of awareness training needs to be sort of a, a kind of a bare minimum requirement, really. There is some training uh, that stewards can get as part of their uh, progression, their, their training, but it's often very basic, very low level. The training that we provide is a, is a bit more in-depth. And the other thing to say as well is that good access is an evolving process, is the words that we use. Basically, it changes. And it as we understand about disability more, as we understand about people's access requirements uh, more, the training that we deliver will change and the, the advice and the information that we give to clubs will change and be updated. Um, and so relevant training needs to be kind of recognised as ongoing, as something that is uh, updated, as something that changes. So it isn't just kind of a, you know, you tell the stewards everything they need to know about disability as a one-time thing and then for the rest of their kind of stewarding career, they're set. This should be something that clubs are, are updating and are con- continually informing their, their stewards about best practice and what they need to be doing. Ben, so something that you get a lot of, as you spoke about at the start regarding your role, is that people will come to you through the info email address, which is info at levelplayingfield.org.uk, whereabouts they might raise a concern or they might want to reach out to a club to find some information. So the question that I got was, what is the best way to raise a complaint or issue to Level Playing Field? And is there really any point in me raising my complaint? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important part of the work that we carry out and we encourage fans to use our have your say service as much as they can so the first step to raising a complaint or inquiry is by visiting our website at www.levelplayingfield.org.uk and on the home page on the top right you'll see a have a big have your say button uh, so if you just click on that and this will direct users to a simple online form which should take no more than a few minutes to complete sort of depending on the severity of the case. Uh, it will ask a few questions like your name and your email address, which match or event your complaint or inquiry relates to. And then there's a comment box where you can just describe the issue 
or inquiry or whatever it might be. So like I mentioned, it's a really vital part of our work. It allows us to identify any accessibility issues and work directly with clubs to wind these out and ultimately improve the match day experience for disabled fans. Um, and this might not just be improvements for clubs. It might also highlight issues that we haven't come across before or perhaps we haven't come across in a while. So it can be sort of a learning curve for us as well. And our staff members who can use this sort of best practice when dealing with issues down the line or it could be something to add to our training sessions to clubs or organizations in the future so yeah i think it's a really important part of what we do and like i said i encourage fans to sort of give us that feedback as much as they can oh I and also i think with with the inquiries and if it's a complaint the important thing is about just kind of you know getting in touch and whether it's through info at level playing field the website or, or giving us a call or if you have a personal contact with a member of staff is to is to reach out because your complaints are you know or fans complaints or fans inquiries are really important for us to be able to solve because it they might be kind of going on and we've experienced it with disabled fans may not raise it and that they could deal with a situation for seasons you know seasons upon season and if we don't hear about it, then we can't address it or we can't raise it and the club may not be aware of it. And it could be as simple as that and change can happen. And we've got, there's so many times that we've seen that we've somebody's raised an inquiry, raised a complaint, we've raised it with the club and that change has happened. And it does happen. It's, it's something that we don't broadcast, we don't make it public. It's done in a private manner um, and it's dealt with, you know, between level playing field and the club. And that change happens and then we engage with the disabled fan who's raised it and all with the club. And after that, we, we see positive change. And if it's something which is new, we can then share it into guidance anonymously as well. So that, that's a really important side and probably urging with fans that you're not quite happy with. It's just get in touch. Nikki, my question to you is uh, from a fan who asks, what can be done to make sure that ticketing allocation is made easier for disabled fans, particularly supporters with families who want to sit together on home and away games? Okay, this is quite a challenging one and a lot of clubs do find it really difficult to actually achieve this. One of the first things that clubs could do would be to actually ensure that disabled people can access tickets in the same way as everyone else. So on the telephone, online, in person, if that is what the club offer. So it's really important to make sure initially that disabled fans can actually access tickets in the same way as everyone else then it's important that they look at how they do their ticket allocation because of particularly we do find that fans who want to come as part of a family to football our main focus is football so we'll focus on football for now that actually there is no system necessarily in place to enable this to happen so the most important things that clubs need to do is actually to start looking at the ticketing allocation and systems and that's for both home and away so that families are able to sit together once they've actually looked at ticketing allocation then some of the physical infrastructure might need to come into it because of if there's only a wheelchair user space and a companion seat next to it that doesn't mean that a family can then really sit all together some clubs are now starting to provide more than one seat next to a wheelchair user space. Some clubs also do have the opportunity where they haven't sold out the wheelchair user spaces to offer flexible seating so they can then accommodate groups a lot easier. But this does depend on the capacity and the physical infrastructure of the ground. Probably the best thing for clubs to do is actually to look at the ticket and allocation so that the spaces directly in front or behind the wheelchair user spaces are kept for family and friends so that people can go as a group and as a family. It's particularly 
parents, say maybe with several children and one disabled child, they don't necessarily want to be split up from their other one or two or three children while they're at football. And depending on the age of the children, it then can cause additional issues with um, children under certain ages needing to be accompanied by an adult if that parent then has to sit with the disabled child. So one of the questions we get asked a lot is regarding our funding and how we get it and where it's from and to make sure there's no, like, are we conflicted with whenever we're going about our campaign? So, Owen, can you touch a little bit on how we actually get the money to, to help us do the work that we do? Like most charities, the most important side that we're, we work on is being to have a, a diverse funding stream, you know, an income coming in, so that if there's one particular area that isn't as successful for whatever reason in that period, we're, we're, we're safe as an organisation and we can carry out the essential work and representing the views of disabled sports fans and bringing about that change. In simple terms, our funding comes from, I suppose, three key areas. We have our grants, um, which we receive from governing bodies, government grants, um, and, and so forth. We have our partnerships, partnership funding again through you know, di- different governing bodies, different sports, based on maybe some services that we can provide. And then also is our, our services. Um, this is paid for services that whether it's clubs or governing bodies are, are, are paying for our services to come in and we can deliver access audits through Ruth and Nikki. Um, or whether it's training with Daniel or providing expert advice on on key design for stadiums or stadium developments, um, we'll 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 do our service. And all of this, then the funding kind of goes into our into our into the charity to be able to, to expand our work, to be able to represent more of the fans' views. Going to the point that you said about, I suppose, ensuring that we're, you know we're not conflicted in our opinion, we're not defined by what our funders stipulate we're defined by what fans say what the key issues are in society we create a plan around tackling that we listen to fans and that shapes our our strategy our plan and we have a certain approach in kind of doing so and that's the important side we harness those and we deliver against those we're held to account by our board of trustees who are representative of the people we serve with majority of our board being disabled uh, fans and they hold us to account in ensuring that we deliver against our, our charitable aims and our objectives, that we are fair and that we are balanced in what we do uh, and ensure that, that that we tackle our main goal, goal and that's access for all fans at stadiums. So my next question, I'm just going to call a lob at everyone. So if uh, someone wants to jump on this, uh, feel free. But how how are we doing to try and educate people regarding invisible disabilities? So Ruth, you spoke about how at the start of Level Playing Field's birth, it was a creation of a wheelchair users coming together to talk about wheelchair based issues. I mean, how are we going about to elevate other disability issues that that we deal with on a day to day basis? Yeah, it's really difficult. We must always remember that um, disability is the largest minority group in any population. There are 14 million disabled people in the UK and 1.2 million of those are estimated to be wheelchair users. So there's a lot of disabled people who are not wheelchair users. It's really important that we listen to those voices as well. And there's been the implementation of easy access and amenity seats in the last six or seven years at football stadia, particularly where you've got minimum stepped access and seats available at the end of rows. 
and handrails available so people don't have to walk any great distance or climb stairs to to get to their seats. There are lots of clubs that are now having um, signage on their toilet doors, accessible toilet doors, for example, that says not every disability is visible. And we support that campaign because the last thing we want is for people to be challenged for using those facilities. More and more clubs now are having ADC or audio descriptive commentary available at their clubs to assist people who are blind and partially sighted. So there's a lot happening and there's a lot happening in other sports as well. You know, as as football leads the way with things like sensory rooms for people with neurodiverse conditions to watch the game in comfort without increased anxiety, other sports are, are following that and they're picking up on that and seeing what a difference it's making. And so gradually, faster in in some areas than others, we're picking up on other disabilities. It's not just about wheelchair users anymore. Go on, Daniel. Uh, Yeah, oftentimes in the training that I deliver, um, I'll state that fact that Ruth uh, has just said that only around eight and a half percent of disabled people are wheelchair users. And oftentimes people are quite surprised at that. And then I start to list the other things that are non-visible disabilities. And it, it really opens people's eyes to kind of the broad range of disabilities that we're actually talking about. Oh, the other side is, as well is having partnerships. We've we've recently worked with other with other organisations and, and other charities about really understanding the breadth of any issue or situation with it when it comes to access and 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 looking at what the barriers are so that we can shape appropriate guidance and and also signposting. Level playing field really represents the views of disabled sports fans, but we can only work with the information that we know and, and, and we have to get that from from our partners that we work with and you know we've obviously we recently teamed up with the wheelchair football association and with our partnership with with them and, and and being able to kind of share a you know a greater stronger campaign message around access and inclusion for disabled fans and we also do this with other with other charities as well where we've worked with them in coming in and providing training and, and resources for level playing field staff so we're greater skilled uh, and have a greater level of awareness so that we can understand in in, in greater level of detail and be able to share some advice, but also, importantly as well, signpost back to those organisations as well. If there's more detail required or if there's a particular area that clubs governing bodies are focusing at that moment in time that we can actually share and, and support um so this question's a bit of a prickly one so again i'm going to throw it out there to everyone so so supporters ask a disability seems to be forgotten about when we speak about inclusion what is level playing field doing to make sure that it's spoken about in the realms of sport oh I'm... sorry sure go for it <laughs> um, uh yes it is you know i think inclusion is often used as a as a, an umbrella term and i think it's sometimes that we we need to ensure that we we take that that term as a, as a collective group there is strength in numbers and it's about having a well-knitted together message that there's no one forgotten no one left behind and that's you know there's a, a significant part for level playing field to play and we do play in doing that and it's working with industry partners you know working with partners across the, the diversity inclusion spectrum and, and and sharing sharing the key message on this we need to amplify the message about the situation what is the situation that's happening for disabled sports fans and what does inclusion mean to them and it's to demonstrate that clearly uh, effectively with, with clear messages and case studies and also what what we're aiming for getting a message that people can get behind and and getting a direction that everyone wants to kind of go towards about 
having a more inclusive society. So there's probably parts of it really it's about from level playing field's perspective is contributing to that that word inclusion. What does that mean from a disabled fans perspective and something that we, we do through our campaigns and through a lot of our work that we do in partnership with clubs and governing bodies. But equally as well, it is, it's probably away from level playing field as well as people recognising that if we're talking about inclusion, let's involve everyone as a part of a discussion point. You know, every protected characteristic from the Equality Act is involved in that discussion point. It's not just one or two protected characteristics, it's all protected characteristics. Ben, I'm going to come to you because I'm, I'm kind of interested to know, like, obviously Weeks of Action is our major campaign where we actually try and raise and elevate disability access to um, to live sport. What part is it about that campaign, about educating non-disabled supporters as well? So we're bringing everyone along so everyone understands what it's like and, and to, to go to a, a match as a disabled supporter and also understand why we're trying to fight for better access and inclusion. Like I say, Weeks of Action is massive for sort of raising our awareness and it's not only disabled fans that we want to sort of attract because as a non-disabled supporter myself who goes to a lot of games, you sort of naturally start picking up little things that you know could be improved and I think, and this isn't just sort of the, the match day experience at the ground, it's sort of the whole day and it's what you can understand and learn about disabled fans and what might cause a barrier that might make the match day experience not so enjoyable for a disabled fan. Someone who's been at the organisation now, I've been, I think, <clears throat> just over two and a half years. So I'll be honest, it's probably something that wouldn't I wouldn't notice before. Maybe if I saw, for example, at a train station, there might not be any steps or there might be a ramp that's blocked by, I don't know, some luggage or whatever it might be. And it's just sort of starting to recognise those little things that you think, well... How would a wheelchair user get up this ramp onto this train station if they were sort of on their own? Or so it's just things like that. I think Weeks of Action is a great way of doing that because it's we obviously work with clubs on match days, get a lot of non-disabled supporters at grounds, and taking that interest and recognizing those little things you can do to make that can make such a difference. I think. So moving away from fans' questions, but it's a question that I'm sure all of us have been asked, and we've we've had to follow up in in either case studies or, or what. Not, but that is the away fan experience. And I'm going to kind of look towards Nikki and Ruth on this as our access auditors. Regarding positioning of supporters and obstructive views, we know that stadiums where disabled away fans are excluded from their fellow uh, travelling fans, we, we, we know of obstructive views by persistent standing by other supporters. What are we at Level Playing Field doing to try and A, highlight this issue and B, eradicate it? Within the access audits, we always recommend that away fans are with away fans during the games, because obviously the experience for disabled fans may not be that pleasant if they're an away fan in a home end. We have heard of things like fans being asked to cover up their club colours because they're an away fan in a home end, and also then difficulty accessing the concessions. So people may not be able to access the food and drink as easily as an away fan. We also do deal with inquiries of fans who've actually had maybe a poor experience being an away fan. And we try then working with those clubs to improve that experience for those fans. Obstructing the views of people who sat behind you who are wheelchair users is has been a significant issue. We need to educate people. We do that 
through our weeks of action and ongoing campaigns to to raise awareness. But we've got a good track record working with quite a number of clubs where we have been able to influence change and make improvements. But we need to know when somebody's having a bad experience at, at a ground where they can't see the game, they can't when people are standing up around them. As Ben said, you can use have your say, you can contact level playing fields in a number of different ways, but we need to know when somebody's having that bad experience so that we can take that information. We can go to the clubs and we sometimes go there in person and actually see what the situation is like and whether there are possibilities of making changes. And we've got a good track record of where changes have been made and improvements have been made and wheelchair users particularly have had a better experience. Daniel? Uh, yeah, just this week, in fact, we had a res- an email response from a supporter who we've helped who just said it's, f- it's refreshing to finally have a, a voice that's not falling on deaf ears. So you know, I think oftentimes disabled supporters can feel like they're just not heard, like their voice isn't heard. And as Ruth says, we've got, we've got a track record of actually being able to make sure that they are heard and changes can be made. I mean, this kind of lines up to the next question, but I can already hear in my voice some people going, well, Level playing field need to be more aggressive. Why aren't they demanding X, Y, and Z? Why why are we doing stuff behind the, the scenes? Why aren't we doing it more front and center? And this kind of leads into my question. Sometimes we do have to be more aggressive, use use uh, more uh, tougher language, and ask for action. So, oh, and how do we kind of balance that between being uh, the strong man and 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 trying to also be that critical friend that I always kind of advocate for disabled support associations to be. I mean, how do we play that balance? It's about having a relationship. Internally, we have a structure where we have one side of the organisation really represents the views of disabled fans and, and listens and takes that on board. The other side of the organisation has, uh, has the close contacts with the clubs and the relationships with the clubs. And then we kind of come in the middle. If something's in, in an inquiry coming in, and then we kind of have a balanced approach about doing it. If we need to raise an inquiry, we, if it's an isolated incident, we'll raise it as an isolated incident. And we'll speak with the club and through our relationships, we'll raise those difficult conversations. We'll have those those, those questions, those emails, whether or we'll have the phone call and we'll, we'll have that meeting. We'll go through a certain process and, and engage with them and liaise back with the fan and then we'll kind of get to a to a position you know whether it's been been sorted or we've identified a solution and then we can then move on from it. If it's something that then requires a bit more of a, a direct approach, you know, we've seen during the during the pandemic with the events research program where we've had to kind of come out and to be really direct and to be kind of quite forthright, perhaps a bit more a bit more aggressive because we firmly believe that that disabled fans or disabled people's rights were being abused as a part of that and 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 we were hearing it from fans where they're being excluded from games and we decided to take that tack just because it's not in social media or trial by social media that it's not going on doesn't mean it's not happening those hard those hard conversations are happening but we've also got to maintain a really strong relationship with clubs so that clubs are confident we want to to ensure that access and inclusion is dealt with proactively where if a club recognises a situation that they can come to level playing field in advance, ask a question, we're finding something very difficult, how can we sort that? And then we'll deal with them on that basis. It happens on a regular occurrence. And if we don't have that relationship, then people won't come to us to ask for support and advice. And that's what we're really trying to drive, is that proactive relationship with access and inclusion, not reactive. You know, obviously that does happen time to time, um, but we want to really drive that 
that proactive uh, commitment towards access and inclusion. I feel like this has been good for the listeners. Um, and hopefully people have learned a bit more about what we do at Level Playing Field. And we'll probably do this again in a couple of years time. But before we wrap up, I, I want to go around individually and, and kind of get your thoughts moving forward and, and get your own personal viewpoint on what, what you hope to see in the next five years and, and, and what we're going to be doing to, to make that change. So I'm asking you all to kind of be a bit of a Nostradamus. So I'm going to come to Daniel because he was the guy who's looking away from me like don't ask me that question thanks Glenn. uh yeah i mean as i've already talked about in terms of the training it'd be great to get to a point where that's sort of mandatory for clubs that, that that disability awareness training not just for stewards but for club staff as well and i think there's there's lots of clubs who you know have staff who absolutely want to make changes and who absolutely want to do the best that they can for their disabled supporters uh, we work with lots of good disability access officers yeah it'd be good just to be able to support them as best we can really to, to make those changes and yeah, maybe for some of those who who don't have full-time jobs or who don't have the, the sort of time to put into it that they can it'd be great to see that role become a, a full-time role throughout the football league through uh, Nikki I would actually love to see all disabled spectators to have a fair and equitable experience when attending any sports and that's across all elements so from ticket booking to entering the stadium to sight lines accessing toilets of course I could not mention that changing places and as well making sure that leaving the stadium and any emergency egress is also equitable for disabled fans so that they have a similar experience to that of non-disabled fans when I say equitable I mean a similar experience it doesn't mean it has to be the same and in fact sometimes the same doesn't mean it's a fair service um, Ruth? I think the next 12 months could be quite significant because Level Playing Field has been leading on the rewrite of Accessible Stadia. The Accessible Stadia guide is the go-to document for architects, designers, facilities, um, managers and staff covering accessibility to sports uh, venues. So we've been leading on the rewrite of that. It's a complete rewrite. It's going to cover hopefully all sports we're going to, or it's going to be applicable to all sports. We're going to include some management processes in there as well. It won't just be about the built environment. That should be published in August to, uh, 2022. So I'm hoping that everybody buys into Accessible Stadia rewrite and um, there could be some significant changes as we help to raise awareness amongst designers and stadium operators. Uh, ben? Just like I touched upon earlier, I think as a sort of non-disabled match-going fan, I have started to sort of pick up on these issues. And like I said, I think I might be at a train station or going into a pub or going into the ground, and it would be nice just to not pick up on those issues. Uh, before I come to Owen, I'm going to quickly say mine, and that's just a wave fan saying we're wave fans. Come on, let's get that done. Uh, Owen? Oh, there's, so, there's so many things that we kind of you obviously we want to kind of address and we want to kind of tackle. I think we want this this attitude towards inclusion, that 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 kind of commitment towards inclusion is at the heart of everything that we do, from the very top to the very bottom and through every facet of of any organization. That it's not it's just considered that that fans are consulted with and they're involved in the decision-making. Decisions for disabled people made by disabled people is at the heart of everything that's happening. And that's something that we need to really need to harness. We've seen the fan-led review 
and the findings from that will obviously be coming out in in in, in some time scale, and we need to ensure that that dis- disability is involved in that. That that is that is a commitment towards that. Ruth mentioned about the accessible stadia guide, and and that's a really exciting piece. It's well overdue a rewrite, and I think it's twenty years upon when it was first re- first written. And we've always a believer is that one of the greatest pieces of change in recent time has been the Premier League pledge. A, a clear case of what gets measured gets done, and that's something that we should be aiming for. Having a set of benchmarking standards that that stadium should be should be delivering for you know for disabled fans to be included. Having equality at the heart of it, inclusion for disabled fans is a really important thing that we need to kind of ensure that people are, are, are aware of, and that would be a really good milestone, you know, for people you know to be to kind of to, to working towards. And and as simply as well as watching live sport becomes easier for disabled fans. Ben mentioned about the journey of kind of getting to the stadium, how to book tickets, uh, you know, the, the simplicity of it. So that actually more disabled people who might not go and watch live sport at the moment feel that this is an opportunity for me to go and enjoy that. You know, it's not about segregated, segregation, it's about integration. Now, everyone's watching or experiencing the same thing. You can talk about how good your team is, how bad, how bad your team is, or how about average that pie is at half time. You can do that all together. It's all about your shirt, you know, the shirt, you know, the badge at the front, and that we can all talk about that sport and that brings people together, unites people together, unites a community, and and that's something that we need, we should never forget how important sport is for individuals, for the communities that they serve, and that's the important side that they serve in the community. Nikki, Ben, Owen, Ruth, Daniel, thank you so much, guys. I will see you probably in five minutes for another meeting. Thank you to all the people who emailed or tweeted their questions across. If you want to know even more about the charity, you can visit levelplayingfield.org.uk or follow us across our social media channels. I'll be back just before Christmas with the last podcast of the year. Till then, bye-bye.